This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Alexander City, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. been talking about the tabernacle of David he was the set man of God and he set the pace and buddy everybody got on train they got on the David train they got on the train to Jerusalem and if they didn't they got left behind they stayed on the outside and then never came on the inside and I'm, I'm so thankful oh it is a wonderful time and I'm excited I'm excited to be, to be involved in this. I'm so excited because I have a great expectation. I have a great expectation of the things that God is going to do in this house. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, Pastor kind of talked about this Sunday morning. Um, he was talking about uh, the potter and the clay and all of that, but he talked about how a little bit of what we were talking about, and I told him at the end, I said, I thought I was going to have to tag team you there for a minute. Because he got into some of this, and I'm going to carry it further. You know, the, we, we left off last Wednesday night, talked about uh, David after, after the, the, the lump of clay, <laughs> after the bump in the road, finding out that there was a lump in the clay there, he went back home and he talked to God, which he didn't do in the first place. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He had a good idea. And God liked that idea, but he didn't talk to God. He didn't talk to God about what God wanted done. So David went back home, and he got down to business with God. And he found out what God wanted done. He found out the due order, what God had purposed, what he'd been planning for years and years and years, how he wanted this thing done, because this is what he wanted done. If he didn't want it done, David would have never been able to go get him in the first place. He would have never got him out of the house of Abinadab. But he got the ark out, so we know that he was in the will of God, but he just had to figure out how to do it the right way. So we talked a little bit about that. He learned. He, he got the Levites together. He said, we didn't do this the right way first. We got to carry the ark the way God intended for the ark to be carried. On the shoulders of the Levites, on the shoulders of the priests, on the shoulders of the leaders. The ordained people of God, the shoulders of the leaders. You and I are leaders. We carry the presence of God today. This was what we established and we talked about that, that they, uh, you need to get the CD. If you weren't here last Wednesday, you need to get the CD to get all of the, what I talked about because I'm not going to go in through all of that. But we found out that there was a right way to do it. And in the midst of that, they offered a sweat equity all the way up to Jerusalem. It was about a 10-mile hike with a thousands and thousands of thousands of people on this road to Jerusalem. And all that was involved in that. And they, they brought everything that they had within them to do this. And they got that ark up there. But we're going to start where I left off because I only talked about part of that journey I only talked about one part of that due order which was the right way to carry the ark and the purpose in the the offerings and the sacrifices whether they did it just right out of the gate right out of Obed-Edom's house or they did it the whole way 
Theologians argue about that. But either way, they had, there was value attached to it. They had prepared themselves, they had sanctified themselves, and there was a value, a sweat equity value that was attached to every step they took. And it's important for us to know that because we're not going to get the presence of God any other way unless we put some value into it. It costs us something. The presence of God will cost you something. It will cost you. What do you want to cost you? It will cost you a broken heart and a contrite spirit that's broken before the Lord and is passionately seeking after Him. Every day of your life, Pastor said it so well last Wednesday night when he quoted the Message Bible, in just your, it's the sacrifices of the Lord are just in your everyday life from the Message. Just you're walking around, everyday living. You're getting up. You're going to bed. You're going to work. You're sitting down at the table to eat. You're going to the ball game. You're, uh, whatever you're doing in your life, that involves, that is the whole of your life involves your passionate pursuit of his presence. Because he wants to come and stay with you all the time. He never wants to be separated from his people. We are going to study that out throughout this whole thing. But I want to, I want to go back and just stop for a few minutes before I finish the rest of this at the house of Obed-Edom. Now this is interesting to me. A little bit of a... a thoughts that I had on Obed-Edom. I think that's a really cool name, Obed-Edom. It's one of the easiest ones to say. It's not like all them other ones. I can say this one pretty good. But you know, God was planning this whole trip. It tells us, James quotes Amos in Acts, and, and he tells us at the end of that quotation that God has been revealing these things from the beginning of time. He's been showing forth his purpose and his plan from the beginning of time. So, and at least for the last hundred years, before David goes to get the ark, God had been planning something for a hundred years. He'd been waiting. He'd been patient. He'd been waiting all the way through the, uh, the, the priesthood of Samuel, all the way through the, the kingship of Saul, all the way into a little bit of David's reign to get a people ready, to get situations and circumstances lined up. And it's by no accident, it is by no accident that the bump in the road happened just outside of Obed-Edom's house. It is no accident, no accident. And I want to talk just a few minutes about that. Obed-Edom, his name means servant of the red or servant of Edom, which is the, the, the lineage of Esau, the Gentiles, the fleshly seed that came from Isaac. You had Jacob, which was the spiritual seed. And you had Esau, which was the fleshly seed. And his line was the Edomites. And this man, now Obed-Edom was not an Edomite. He was a Levite. It tells us he was a Levite born in a city, he's a name this mile long, from the tribe of Dan. You know, Levites had cities within all of the tribes. They didn't have land given specifically to themselves. They had cities in each one of the tribes. So Obed-Edom was a Levite. He was of the priestly tribe of the Levites. So under the law... God was right in with the law when he set himself down for three months in the house of Obed-Edom because he was a Levite. He was of the priesthood. But his name, his name was Obed-Edom, servant of Edom, 
servant of Esau, which shadows forth God's welcoming. He's always thinking about the Gentiles. The Gentile people were always in his heart and always on his mind. He was showing even back then that I got the Gentiles in mind. I got them in mind. I've sat down right here in the house of a man whose name means servant of Esau. And I've sat down here and I've blessed his house. I've blessed him. That's what it said. It said his house was blessed. David heard about that too. It, news got back to David. Well, there's things going, off in, going on in Obed-Edom's house. Good things are going on in his house. <clears throat> That signifies something because also in Amos, the scripture in Amos 9, 11, and actually verse 12, and in Acts, James quotes that, and he talks about it's a shadowing forth of the Gentile nation coming into the house of God. So isn't, isn't that a beautiful picture that God, he was thinking about this the whole time and he was painting a picture and showing us and he was specifically, I think, showing showing it so that when this instant came up in Acts where they were meeting and talking about the Gentiles, James said, hey, look, boys, all the way back here, all the way back here in Amos, all the way back here, God had these people in mind. So before the cross and after the cross, he had them in mind. He knew what he was doing. He's always known what he was doing, and he was shadowing forth. The whole Old Testament is a shadowing forth of what God fulfills in Christ in the New Testament and what he fulfills in me and you. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And a couple of cool things about um, Obed-Edom that I just wanted to talk about. He was willing to take the ark in, into his house. Now, he just saw somebody get killed dead right outside of his house. And so he was willing to take this ark. He, he, he reverenced this ark. He had to have had to be willing to take it into his home. And I bet he's had a little bit of kids running around, you know? Uh, you know, everybody running around, and here this ark is sitting in his house. What a wonderful picture it paints of his heart. He had a heart after God, and he had a heart after God because even after, even after the ark left his house, he followed the ark. He didn't stay at home. He said, oh, I got to go where that ark goes. I'm, I'm not, the presence of God is not getting away from me. I'm going with the presence. I'm going with the ark. I'm not staying back here where he was. You hear me? I'm not staying back here where he was. I'm going to follow him all the way. And I'm not even leaving because he became one of the ones David appointed in service into the ark, uh, to the ark. And he also had eight sons who became mighty men of valor, strong for the service of the Lord. Now that ought to tell you something, people who got kids. You invite the presence of God into your life on a daily basis. You get Him into your life. And your family will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. They will become mighty people of God, serving Him. I don't care what you think, what it looks like, they will line up. With the word of God. You get the presence of God in you. Yes. With you. You passionately pursue his presence. And he'll bring the rest of them around. Yes, he will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we thank God. We praise you, Jesus. Because y'all know my story. And I'm hanging on to every word of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So they, get, they, they figure out how to do it. They take the ark from Obed-Edom's house. And part, of, part two of what the order that David received from the Lord. Now, he got this straight from the mouth of God because I'm going to tell you what. What I'm facing talking about had never been done before. This had never been done before. In the days of old, when the ark traveled with Moses... There was a due order there. They had to break down all of the stuff. And while they were breaking down the stuff, the tribe of Judah went first. And then the next tribe went. I don't remember all the, the order of the tribes, but they had an order of the tribe. And they all went under their banner, right? And then in the middle of those tribes, finally the Levites got, to, got their stuff. They were all ready to go. And here they go with the ark. And then the, the furniture and all of the stuff of the ark came behind them. And then you had some more tribes in the back. And the ark of God traveled under a thick curtain, which was part of the tabernacle of Moses. It was part of the, the furnishings and the belongings that God had ordained and set according to the picture that he showed Moses, right? Well, he shows David a whole nother picture. He showed David a whole new thing. David was receiving progressive truth, something that had never been done before. <clears throat> And he called together the, the Levites, and, and he told them, starting in verse 16 of chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles. I'm going to read from the Amplified. David told the chief Levites to appoint their brethren, the singers, with instruments of music, harps, lyres, and cymbals, to play loudly and lift up their voices with joy. Now, I went back and looked in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, they don't talk about nobody singing, nobody doing any playing of harps and lyres and cymbals and none of that stuff. It was a very solemn procession. Now, they had trumpets that announced when it was time to go. They had trumpets that, you know, signaled certain things. But they didn't have music. They didn't have praise and worship or anything going on any other time that the tabernacle, then the, on the ark of God moved. But here... David's getting some new truth, some new order. So the Levites appointed Heman and all of these people. I'm not going to read all their names because a lot of them I can't read. You can read them. And then, then his brethren and with them the brethren of the second class. So you had, a, you had the chiefs in the Levites, the chiefs of the singers. Then you had the second class coming behind them. And then all of them came forward, and you get a little bit of a description of what, what um, the Lord had in mind. In verse 20, he says, Zechariah, Aziel, Sheremoth, Jehel, Unai, Eliab, Messiah, Benina were to play harps, resembling guitars, said to Alamoth, probably the treble voice, Matthiah, Elephilu, Mikniah, Obed-Edom, Jehel, Isaiah were to lead the lyres, Set to Shemaiah, the bass voice. Tanina, the leader of the Levites in singing, was put in charge of carrying the ark and lifting up song. He instructed about these matters because he was skilled and able. Berechiah and Elkanah, Elkanah were gatekeepers for the ark. And it repeats the names over again. It says there was other two that were gatekeepers. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Okay. 
Now, there was a, a, a specific reason and specific order that was developed here, just like the specific order that was developed when they carried the ark in the days of Moses. There was a specific order, but it was a brand new thing. It was a brand new order. And I don't believe that, well, here, let me, let me keep going. I'll get off on a rabbit trail. Now, this, this is the book that some of this we've been taking out of this book it's called The Tabernacle of David, and it's by Kevin J. Connor. It's, I think it's like copyrighted way back in like 1970 or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the procession of the ark to you. This is just wonderful. First of all, in the beginning, first of all, the first one out the gate was David, the leader. And it tells us, in uh, verse 21, that David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and he also wore an ephod, a priestly upper garment of linen. So David was acting as king and priest here. He was the first man out of the gate, the leader, the set man, the one that was carrying the order straight from the mouth of God, straight from the throne room of God, just as our pastor is the leader of this house, carrying out the orders from God, the orders from headquarters, what God has given him to his heart. And the rest of them came in this order. The elders of Israel, find that in verse uh, 25 of chapter 15, the elders of Israel and the captains of Israel. Now, the elders of Israel and the captains of Israel, are not necessarily the priests. They're the elders and the captains of the tribes of Israel. Okay, they were following, and this is just the coolest thing, just the coolest thing, that these elders, I mean, what has been the history of Israel? That's what they did with Moses, right? Well, you know, every time they got to complaining and complaining and complaining, every time, it is so amazing to me that they just... Do you, do you hear him? Does it anywhere talk about them complaining to, to David? No. It says with joy. But they got behind David. They got behind the elders and the leaders, the chiefs and captains of Israel got behind David and joined with him in this procession. That is a call to the leaders of this house to get in line with the leader. Follow him. Do what he, what's laid upon his heart that God is instructing this house to get behind him in one mind and one accord because we're on the march to Zion. We're on the march to the presence of God. We're on the march to what God wants to do in this house for this time, for this people, to affect this community, to affect this country, to affect the nations of the world right here from Passion Church. Hallelujah. Now, after that, the high priests Zadok and Abiathar. Then after that, we have the chiefs and the Levites, Uriel and 120 Kohathites, Asiah and 220 Mariites, Joel and 130 Gershomites, Shemaiah and 200 sons of Elizaphan, Eliel and 80 sons of Hebron, and Aminadab and 112 sons of of Uziel. These totaled 870 persons in this particular group coming down here. That is two high priests plus six chiefs and 862 Levites. Now after that, 
the trumpeters came. And then the two door, the first, there were four doorkeepers. The two doorkeepers, or gatekeepers, <clears throat> came after the trumpeters. And then the ark of God, after the gatekeepers. Then after the gatekeepers, the two gatekeepers, there were two gatekeepers behind the ark. And then we had the singers and the musicians. Chenina, the chief singer, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, the three chief singers and musicians of the first degree, the 12 singers after that of the second degree, the rest of the singers and the musicians, and the congregation of Israel following. Now the beautiful part about this <clears throat> is that you can see God's heart in all of this. You can see God's heart in every bit of this. And it uh, really speaks to my heart because I'm part of this. Amen. I'm part of this. And it, let, me just, let me just go, okay? I'm just going to go with it. Here you have God right down in the middle, right smack in the middle of praise and worship. Right smack sat down on the road to Jerusalem in the middle of praise and worship. His heart is after people who will seek. He's looking after. He's seeking. He's searching after people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We'll get together and come together on one mind, one accord, one purpose, one plan, behind one leader and praise and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the picture that we see right here. This ark, the ark of God sit right down in the middle of it, right down in the middle of praise and worship. The trumpeters and the singers, they're all with joy, lifting up one voice, praising and worshiping God. Hallelujah. They've come, they've prepared their hearts. They've sanctified themselves. They've come together to get the presence of God and the worship and the praise was going up out of their mouths, up out of their hearts. They were singing the song. Let me, this ought to bring songs to a whole new light in your life. They were singing the written songs that we read and think they're just words. They were songs that they were singing to God. They were singing of his praises. They were thanking him for everything he'd ever done. They were glorifying his name and singing the songs. And God said, whoa, I love this. This, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm after. And, and he went the whole way. I'm telling you, it doesn't specify this in the word, but they want no curtain covering him this time. There was no nothing covering that ark. There was nothing, everything that was left right back in the tabernacle of Moses. Because he said, I've left that place. I've left that tabernacle. And something else that, that tells me that, that everything about that tabernacle was left there was because his, what he speaks of about Hophni and Phinehas, the ones who took him out of that ark in the first place. They didn't have hearts after God. They were doing their own thing. They never inquired of him. They didn't figure out nothing. They took him right out of that. And I, don't, I believe the whole time he never was covered. No wonder his presence wasn't involved in anything. No wonder he wasn't involved in anything. They didn't do anything right. They didn't do anything after the due order of God. And I believe that that curtain was left hanging on the hook at the tabernacle of Moses. And he went the whole time. But you know what? This was his heart. 
His heart was never to be separated from his people in the first place. Right straight, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to say it anyway. Right straight from the Garden of Eden, the day that Adam broke the covenant with him, he was after this from that very minute. And this was a type and a shadow showing forth of what he was going to do when he split the veil in two, when Jesus died on the cross, never to be covered up and separated from his people again. Never, ever, ever. And this was a picture of it because he wanted to be, he wanted to have unveiled worship. Nothing between him and the people that he, that he created that had his very heartbeat. Never to be separate, never have anything between them. That's why I can say with confidence, he traveled. He'd never traveled like this before. I wonder what God was thinking. I think God was thinking, Woo! Hallelujah! It's about time! I've been waiting for this since the Garden of Eden. I've been waiting for somebody to have a right heart. I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm conveying this right to you because y'all don't look like you're getting happy about it. He, he, he was, his heart, God's heart is always to be you, me with you, and you with me. It's always been that way. And he, he was, I believe he was so glad. That thick old curtain is gone. Woo! Hallelujah. And I can be with them. And, they can, and you know why? Because he was surrounded by praise and worship. That's exactly why. Praise and worship is like making smoke, just like the priest was supposed to make. When he went into, before he ever went into the holiest of holies, he had to make smoke with that incensor. And it was just a, a sweet smelling savor, just like your worship is. That's what they were creating this whole trip. They were creating praise and worship all around the ark of God. That's why he could travel that way. Because he was unveiled in the smoke of their worship. He was unveiled in the smoke of their worship. Hallelujah. He was covered up in it. Glory to God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And that's, you know, that's what we do when we praise and worship God. Out of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, we offer up a praise and a thanksgiving that comes into worship. Comes into worship of the Lord. And he comes down and every time he will come down and sit right down in the middle of that. He will do it every, every, every time. Now, in case you're wondering, and I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I've been talking, this, this kind of alludes to the leaders, this first part. And you may be thinking, okay, well, I'm not a singer. I'm not a leader of the church. Y'all get up there and you play the music and you sing. And, you know, I can't even sing. I can't carry a tune in the bucket. You're not left out. You're not left out. You know why? Because it says the congregation of Israel following. And do you think, now just, just get a picture of this. Do you really think that David and the Levites and the singers and the musicians were the only ones singing and dancing and praising God? I believe that, that was, that's an infectious thing. You know, when you get around real worship, when you get around real praise, it, it gets all over you. You know, you can't hardly, I can't, and maybe that's just me. I can't hardly sit still. I got to get up and do something. I got to move, you know. I got to get up and praise God. 
And I believe that the, the congregation of Israel, the congregation of Israel joined in in that praise and that worship. They joined into that glorious, joyful shouting and dancing before the Lord. And you say, well, you don't say nothing about dancing here. I don't see nothing about dancing. Well, we get a picture of that in Psalm 68, 25. And I want to go there real quick in case you think I'm making it up. I'm not making it up. Okay, sorry. Apologize those who are... I do, I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it. I try to be demure, but I can't do it. It's not in me. You know, I'm, and I'll take a little rabbit trail here. I was so glad when Keith Moore talked about people who are expressive people. I got excited because I was like, I'm one of them. And he said, you know who the most expressive people are? We're God's people. What did they do every time something happened? They rent their clothes and they poured dust and dirt all on them. I mean, who does that except people who are really involved? People who get all up in it. I mean, who wants to throw dirt all over you? You know, I'm like, whoa, I'm one of them. I'm one of God's people. I fit. Ah. You know, I was like, I'm excited about that. That gave me, you know, because I've often thought, gee, am I the only one that acts crazy? Hallelujah. But I'm, I'm, I'm an Israelite. Ha, <laughs> ha. Because I get a little crazy about stuff. Amen. Praise the Lord. But um, in uh, Psalms 68, 25. Now here we are in Psalms, right? These were songs. Songs sung about the Lord. Songs sung to the Lord. Songs sung about the experiences and everything. And here we see this verse. The singers go in front. The players on their instruments last. Between them, the maidens are playing on the tambourines. Weaving in and out, playing their tambourines, dancing before the Lord. Let me tell you something. If the leader David was dancing, I bet you everybody else was dancing too. Except maybe the ones that were carrying the ark. You know, kind of hard to do a jig while you're carrying that heavy ark. You know, but the rest of them were dancing. They were following their leader. They were following. They were in unison and in tune with him. They were joyful. They'd been waiting a long time. Finally, in, in, in Samuel, it says, after 20 years, all of Israel lamented after the presence of God. And they were excited because finally the presence of God was coming to sit down with them. Hallelujah. And they were excited and dancing and jumping for joy, praising him the whole way. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a picture that is for you and I. And, and all of the people, we're not talking about just those that get up here and sing. Yeah, we are the, of the first degree or the second degree, or if you want to liken, liken it into the, what David is talking about here in the, the order and procession and those that were called. But he doesn't leave out the people. It's everybody. It's all of us. There's no big eyes and little U's. God wants to use us all. So we see this, this beautiful picture of, of this procession. I mean, I just, I can't you, it's hard to fathom this many people. There were thousands of people, thousands of people involved in this. And they were excited. But what a cacophony that must have been. Can you imagine being in the countryside and hearing this? What is going on? I mean, it was, it was a, a monstrous thing. 
coming forth. The, they were making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And it was pleasing unto Him. And He sat right down in the middle of it and He was happy. God was pleased. God was joyful. He was, he was saying just like then, at last, at last. At last, at last. You know, I, I, I can't help but think that. And God is the same way today. He hadn't changed. He hasn't changed. He said this was his favorite house. These things he wants to set up again. He, he wants to build up the ruins, build up the walls, build up those things that have been torn down and then let us go, uh, go aside like they're not important anymore. This is God's heart. He wants to set this thing up. And as I was, you know, and, and uh, let me just go ahead and go this way. Okay, Lord. As I was uh, talking, uh, praying to the Lord, and I've been studying all week, but today was interesting today. Um, I, I was working after I had done my Zumba class this morning. I was working, and um, I could hardly work for God telling me this and telling me that, you know, and I would get excited, and I'd have to preach to the plants or something, you know. <laughs> I'd have to talk about, you know, just get it out. And, um, you know, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time here to talk about Chenina, the chief singer. <clears throat> Now, Chenina, I believe, had to have a heart like David. In fact, there are several different translations that I looked up, and I, I didn't write them all down. But a couple of them talk about Chenina, that he was, he was a chief of the Levites, and he was, he, he was for song. That was his gifting. That was his talent. That was his ministry. And, and it also, in a couple of translations, talks about prophecy. He was also involved in prophecy, and that he had understanding in those things, he, God used him in mightily in that. And you know, um, Pastor Bruce is a set man of this house. The set man, and God speaks to him. But Ron, my husband, is Chenina of this house. And he has wonderful giftings that God has put in him. And uh, he, he, you know, the things that play out of him sometimes are just really... a. I'm, I'm taken aback by them. And I, I encourage him, you, you got more. You got more in you. You got more in you. You got more than you've tapped into. And <clears throat> Chenina here was the chief, the chief singer. He was, and and uh, it, it just is so interesting to me that in the Amplified, it says, Chenina, leader of the Levites in singing, was put in charge of carrying the ark and lifting up songs. I thought about that. Why would it say it like that here? Well, you know why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. He lives in the praises. He sits down in the praises. He dwells in the praises. He moves in the praises. He, he comes and he does mighty things in amongst the praises of his people. He sits right down on that. And Chenina was the leader of that. Chenina was the instructor of that. Chenina was the one that God moved in the direction of that praise and that worship. Just like Ron does here. And you can see, you know, you read through the Psalms, 
through the different ones that wrote the Psalms. Not, it wasn't just David that wrote the Psalms. Many of them, Asaph, Sons of Korah, and different ones. And all of them wrote music, I believe. Chenina probably wrote some stuff too. He had a heart that was right. He had a heart that, that the songs of the heart erupted out of them. You can hear it when you read. I mean, these men, all of these leaders of these singers, the, of the first degree that they're talking, the chiefs of the leaders of the singers, the, the, song, the songs of the heart erupted out of them. And it erupted out of a relationship with God. It erupted out of their, their uh, knowing God, their, their studying of the word as much as they possibly could. In that day, they had a relationship with God or else these songs would not have come out of them. The songs of the heart, the songs of love wouldn't come out of them like that. To worship, there's, many, there's three different meanings I want to talk about. The old English word for worship is worship, which denotes it has value. It has worth. It has value attached to it. The Hebrew, it means to, it says shakab, and it means to bow down, to prostrate or to do reverence. But my favorite one is from the Greek, which is in the New Testament, which we're on this side of the cross, right? We're the New Testament church. So when you see the word worship in the New Testament, it is proskunio. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's how I say it. Pros means towards, and cuneo means to kiss. So proscunio means kissing towards, and it denotes intimacy. It denotes a relationship of intimacy, of knowing and feeling and moving with and having a life with, having breath and life, and all that you do is intertwined with each other. The kissing towards is not a kissing away. It's a kissing towards. You ever been kissed toward? Everybody's married ought to say yes. Not, not you two. You, ain't, you don't know that yet. But you know when, when you've been kissed towards. It's an, it's an inviting into one another. It's a relationship that connects. That's what intimacy and the songs of the heart come out of that relationship of intimacy. Now, the Lord showed me a picture of this. Today, as I was talking to him and he was talking to me, and, and I, I want to I relay this picture to you. What I'm talking about, the songs of the heart. The songs of the heart are God's favorite songs. The songs that erupt out of your heart that come from a place of worship, a place of kissing towards, a place of, I got to be with you, God. I got to have you with me. Those are his favorite Amen. songs. Those are the songs that draw him. Those are the songs he comes running to. You know how I know? Let me tell you how I know. Ron's written a lot of songs. I've helped him write a couple, but he's written a lot of songs. But there's one song that is my favorite song. One song that I like more than any of the rest of the songs. You know why? Because it's a song about us. Few, about five years ago, during Valentine's Day, around that season, we, we didn't really have a whole, whole lot of extra money. So we weren't able to really do a lot for each other like we like to do. And um, 
I hope I don't start crying, but I probably will. He, uh, he decided that, and unbeknownst to me, I just thought he was messing around with the piano like he always does, you know, playing stuff and doing stuff. Well, he was writing a song for me for Valentine's Day. A song out of his heart. A song out of our relationship. A song out of our last 30, at that time, about 30 years of marriage. 30, 31 years of marriage. It talked about our relationship, how we met, and, and all of those things. And, he, and, and at the end, he said, I'd do it all over again. Amen. And it's my favorite song because it's a song of love out of his heart to me. Amen. song about our relationship together, even through all the good and through all the bad, through all of the stuff we wish we could change, and the stuff that we love about each other. It was a song from his heart, even though sometimes it embarrasses me for him to sing it in public. But it's my favorite song. It's a picture of God and the songs that we sing to him. Songs of the heart. Songs that erupt out of our relationship with him out of our intimacy with him, he comes running every time. He comes running, he says, they're singing to me. They're telling me how much they love me. They're worshiping me out of their heart. And I'm telling you what, every time God will sit down in the middle of that. That's what the people of Israel were doing. You can read some of the songs of ascent what was the Songs of Ascent? The Ascent up to Zion. That's what the Songs of Ascent are about. The road up to Zion where God sat down in the tabernacle of David and his presence dwelt among the people. Those songs, God was enthralled with them. God was enamored with them. He was drawn to them and he said, this is... This is my favorite stuff. This is what I like the best. When you and I sing those kind of songs, when we get in that kind of an attitude, out of an intimate day after day relationship, through all of the stuff, through all of the pain, through all of the disappointment, through all of the brokenness, we can still sing a song of the heart. God comes running every time. And he sits down on that. And as he did in the tabernacle of David, he didn't leave. He sat right down there in the middle of it. Amen. And he said, this is good. He said, this is home. You realize that? He said, this is home. Right in the middle of this kind of love song. Right in the middle of this kind of relationship. I've been waiting for this since the days of the garden. I've been waiting for this since the days of Adam and Eve. Long time. And he established that through Jesus for us. This was a type and a shadow and a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. What's supposed to be going on here in this place. We can't we can't speak for other places. 
We can't speak for other places, but we can speak for this place. This is what we desire, Father, to go on within us, to create that place for you to come and sit. Sit down in the amongst of us here at Passion Church. Sit down. Come and sit on our songs of love, our songs of heart that we sing to you. Most precious Father, how beautiful you are, God. How glorious you are. Come and sit down on our praises. Come and sit down with us. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father. We glorify you, God. How beautiful you are to us, Lord. Let us sing songs from an intimate relationship with you, God. From a relationship with you. We're together. You're with us. There is no separation between us, Father. And out of the abundance of our hearts erupts a praise and a worship that you long for, that you're looking for, that you're seeking for those of us that will worship you in spirit and in truth, devote our whole being to you, God. Everything that we are, everything, everything about our lives, God, we lay it before you as a sacrifice to you, God. Our walking around every day, in and out lives, God. Let our life song sing to you, Father. Let our life song sing to you, Jesus. Everywhere we go, everything we do, let it sing to us. Let it sing to you, God, in your gloriousness and your love and your beauty and everything that you've done, God. And we praise you, God, and we thank you, Lord. We glorify and magnify your name. You are worthy, 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 worthy. You are worthy. There's no one like you. None like you, Jesus. None like you, Father God. We praise you, Lord. We magnify you and glorify you. Hallelujah. I hope that um, I was able to convey what all I had, what all God wanted to say here tonight. I hope you grasped enough that you can build on that and you can build a mercy seat in your life that God can sit on, that God can sit on your praise, your worship, and your adoration. And, and we thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.